Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here physically in the room this morning to worship our Savior Jesus. And if you're chiming in online, uh, welcome as well. And yeah, I, I heard the what, like with the, the uh, Packer jersey and all that. I was, just came from my Sani and when the worship team walked off and they saw me in the back and that uh, right away we were wrestling in the back. Uh, Brad, the bass player, and I had each other in a headlock and stuff. <laughs> we were going at it, you know, just having a good time. It's all healthy, right? Until noon. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here because it's critical for us to meet with Jesus so that we understand what the whole goal of this series is. Foolproof your life, right? The desire is for us to be in a position where we can foolproof our life, meaning that, hey, when we make decisions, we're making right decisions. And that's huge. And we see that in the book of Proverbs, which we are looking at through this series, that God has provided us wisdom, knowledge. He's provided us discretion of how we are to live, how we're to make decisions. And he desires us to do the next right thing so that we will be prosperous and successful. As Thoreau said, God made us to succeed, not to fail. And I believe that the topic today is foundational, it's pivotal when it comes to foolproofing our life. So I really want you to pay attention here this morning and give me a portion of your time. Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis is a cowboy from Oklahoma who began his start in boxing in Chicago in the early 1980s. James Tillis still remembers the first day when he got off of the bus from Tulsa. I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago. And I walked over in front of the Sears Tower and I placed the suitcases on the ground and I looked up at the Sears Tower and I said to myself, I am going to conquer Chicago. And when I looked down, my suitcases were gone. (laughs) Right? It reminded me of the Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's read this together. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, I think we all can relate to James Tillis, right? When it comes to being prideful at some level. Thinking that we are, hey, I'm the man, or I'm the princess, or I'm the bomb, right? We've all been there. This is the definition of pride. A high or inordinate opinion of one's abilities, importance, or superiority, I love the Greek definition. It means to show above. It gives this level, it says, of blindness, meaning that we are blind to anyone else around us. Isn't that so much pride? Like, like all that we can see is us, and that it's all about us. That's the Greek definition. We have this blindness. In that scripture as well, It talks about a haughty spirit. The word haughty literally means disdainfully proud. It means snobbish. 
scornfully arrogant, to appear above. I mean, even the descriptive words are like, ugh, right? Disdainfully proud, snobbish, scornfully arrogant. In the movie, The Greatest Showman, based loosely on the history of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, Zac Efron plays Philip Carlyle, who is a wealthy young man and who has position in society because his parents have this elite position in society. But Zac Efron, Carlyle, decides to go into business with Barnum, who's played by Hackman, and go into the circus business. When he does that, he meets a woman, Zendaya, who is a trapeze artist in the circus. And he finds out quickly what his parents think of him dating her, even being with her, and how he should act in his position in society. Let's watch this brief clip. Mr. Barnum said he left the ticket for me. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I believe there's only supposed to be one. No, there's meant to be two. I wasn't sure you'd come if I asked. Five minutes to go. I've always wanted to go to the theater. Philip, is that you? Mother? Father? This is Ann Wheeler. Philip, have you no shame? Associating yourself with that Barnum business is one thing. But parading around with the help. Did you get that line in there? You forget your place, right? You forget your place. I mean, each one of us in the room, if we're honest with one another, we have all caught ourselves putting ourselves as greater than another person around us. People who walk into a meeting in the workplace we're at and you stereotype them or you evaluate them in the position that they are in within the room or a new neighbor moves into the neighborhood and they're unpacking their stuff and you're watching and looking even just at their stuff and saying, oh, okay, okay, all right, you know what, this is what they have, don't have, you know, whatever. We all do it if we're honest with one another, even myself. I mean, the greatest temptation or urge that I have when I'm with my peers, like other pastors, or I'm at a seminar or a conference or sitting around tables or this or that, is to like have a story about what God's doing at New Hope that is greater than their story of what God's doing at their church. I mean, right. I mean, I mean honestly, if, if I'm honest, there's this incredible urge, you know, and, and I'm like 
God, why is it that like in every area of our life, whether it has to do with how we look, what we drive, where we work, you know, our income, our position in life, our performance or whatever that we like need to validate ourselves as like we're important by putting ourselves above everybody else. Positioning. We do it. Even I do it. We do it. And it drives me crazy. C.S. Lewis says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man or woman, right? Youth, whatever. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. You know, it's interesting, I was, uh, I was thinking of this topic, preparing for it and that, I was heading home from the cities on 65 and that, and this beautiful F-150 four-door truck went by me, black, you know, just shiny, just went by, and I'm like looking at it, and I'm just starting to drool, you know, and, and that and, and stuff, and, and then I caught the line on it, on the, on the back. It said, limited edition. Do you know what limited edition means? It means... I have this truck and you don't. You can't even get it because it's a limited edition. There's only a certain amount of people that can have this specific truck or color, right? And you don't have it because it's limited edition. It's this ego thing. It's, I think it's sales thing too, right? That kind of thing. I mean, if you're an artist in the room, you love art and paintings and sculpture or whatever, they have limited editions, right? You, you look at the art piece and what does it say? It says one of 17, meaning, hey, there's only 17 of these in the world and you have one of them. <laughs> you have one of them. I'm, hey, I'm only one of 17 in the world that have this art piece, you know? That's it, limited edition, you know? And I mean, in my head, I say, I have all kinds of limited edition art pieces. I mean, my kids gave me art pieces all growing up. You know, they're all limited editions. It's a one and done, right? And that, but that whole idea, right? Hey, placing yourself above others, this, this idea we have this urge. And where do we get this? Where do we get this challenge of pride in our lives? Well, let's rewind it back a little bit and start with the history of pride, and the history of pride comes actually before the fall, meaning before Adam and Eve was created, before the garden, before they decided to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that, that God told them don't eat of. Pride is the first sin ever recorded before mankind was even created. Pride was the cause of Lucifer's fall, whose name was then changed to Satan or to the devil, as recorded in Ezekiel 28.17 in the old part of the Bible. It says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Lucifer meant light bearer because he was the greatest of all the angels God had created. But he became prideful and he wanted to overtake the throne of God, he wanted to be God himself. He still does. So he was cast down and be, he became Satan or the devil. In the Hebrew, Satan means adversary or accuser. In the Greek, it means slanderer. And in Revelations 12, 10, it says that the devil stands at the throne of God day and night accusing the brethren, meaning accusing you and I. 
What he desires is for us to not believe that God loves us, that God created us in our mother's womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God is for us, not against us. And his main goal every day is to get us to believe that we are best not humbling ourselves before God or being in a relationship with God, but yet to worship something else. You see, he doesn't care if we worship him. His main goal is to get us to worship anything else but Jesus. That's his goal. That's his desire. And so we see this history of pride that it happens prior to the fall, but B, it's paved the way for all sin in the world. Pride is actually the root of all sin. This is why it's listed typically number one when it comes to the seven deadliest sins because it's inherent in all sin. And we get it from when we go then to Genesis chapter three. God creates Adam and Eve. He gives them this incredible world to live in with boundaries and one stipulation, just don't mess with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it or you will die. And the enemy comes to him, to Adam and Eve, and say, really, did God really say that you shouldn't touch that tree? And Eve says, yeah, he says, we should not touch it or we will die. And what does he say? You will not surely die. You know what's going on here? God doesn't want you to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because then you will become God yourself. And you will know everything, good, evil. And you won't need God. That's why he doesn't want you to touch it. And they fell for it. And ever since, we have wrestled with the challenge of believing that we are God. I mean, if you look at humankind, if you look at our world today, what's our biggest challenge? We can figure it out. We are God. We have what is needed to make everything in life work. But the challenge with the history of pride is what it produces is number two, the harm of pride. And I think it destroys the three greatest commandments. What I view as the three greatest commandments, we know that there are two greatest commandments in the Bible. I've added one. But the first greatest commandment is this, the love of God. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's hard to do that when we, as the created, put ourselves over the creator. Psalm 10.4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. And the reason there's no room for God is because we're God. <laughs> there's no room for the God because I am God. I mean, the number one reason that we are challenged as a world, as a country, as a state, as a county, in our marriages, in our parenting, as individuals, is that we have put ourselves on the throne and we have taken God off. Did you hear that? I mean, the number one reason that we are challenged as a world, as a country, as a state, individually, personally, is that we have put ourselves on the throne of God and we have booted him off. It's the harm of pride. But B, it also, 
harms our ability to love our neighbor. Why? Because we are always putting ourselves above our neighbor. We have what the Greek term said. We have this blindness that, hey, it's all about me. It's all about me, and we cannot see beyond ourself. Paul says this in Philippians 2, 3, 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, meaning, hey, I'm going to get ahead of everybody else here, or vain conceit, hey, it's all about me. I am like the pinnacle, right? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, Christian love sees others as worthy of preferential treatment, serving others before self. What did Jesus say? Hey, if you want to be great among people, be their servant. Jesus said himself, hey, the son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And so we get this picture of how we are to live and love our neighbor, but it's difficult to do that when we're so in love with self. Harm brings, pride brings harm to our love of God, our love of neighbor, but then lastly, our love of self. And we have this idea that we have arrived, that we are above others. Do you know the two words that kill growth in our lives the most? Two words. You ready for them? Here's the two words. I know. I know. A peer at work comes and says, hey, you know, there's a shortcut to this way of doing... I know. I, I know. I know. You know, the three words I heard in my household often from my girls when I was training them for life, and they were training me for life as well, uh, is, I know dad. You know, I have them out, and we're learning to drive or whatever, and that, and hey, you should really slow down. I know dad. I know. I know. I took the class. Okay. You know, it's, it's like, hey, it's 30 below zero. You know, I don't think shorts probably a good move today for uh, high school, you know, and that. I know dad. I know. You know, I'll be in the school all day. It's, it's heated. And I'm like, okay. You know, whatever. Right? But the reality is I do that as well as an adult. You know, I'm thinking, I know, I know, right? And we have this level of arrogance that keeps us from growing or that gives us this level of pride or this blindedness as well. And so the, the harm of pride is it, it inhibits us from loving God, loving our neighbor, and then loving ourselves, allowing ourselves to grow and to mature properly. And so third, lastly then, what is the healing of pride? How do we heal pride? Well, we apply the opposite of pride, right? It's humility. The healing of pride is humility. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Let's read this together. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. What is humility? Having a proper view or attitude toward oneself and others. Did you get that? 
having a proper view or attitude towards oneself and towards others. In a Psychology Today article that I read on pride, I like the statement from PhD Leon Stetzler, where he says this, healthy pride has nothing to do with comparing oneself advantageously and frequently unfair to others. Whereas a person with unhealthy pride regularly brags about their often exaggerated accomplishments, right? I mean, we're going into the hunting season here and that there's going to be a lot of exaggeration, right, of accomplishments probably. Years ago, I read a business book by Jim Collins, who's a business guru. He wrote the book, Good to Great. In there, he had a line that I have tried to apply in my life, but I don't always win in it. And here's the line. Try to be more interested than interesting. Try to be more interested than interesting. Why did he say this? The reason he said this is because when he came out of college and he was young in his business years, he met with an executive. And throughout the whole lunchtime, he was trying to impress the executive with his education and his business experience, even at a young age, and what he thought, hey, I'm going to take the world. And at the end of this lunch with this executive of this company, the executive said, uh, Jim, could I give you one bit of advice? And, and Jim says, oh, yeah, it's all right, I suppose, you know, because Jim had been doing all the talking, right? And he said this line, you know, try to be more interested than interesting. Take an interest in others. Ask them about their life, about their accomplishments, or what's going on in their world, instead of trying to make it all about you. And literally, honestly, I have been in lunch meetings with, with uh, pastors who are older, who have accomplished incredible things in my eyes, you know, and that in the, the church world, or this or that, or it could be even in, you know, business people, or this or that, and, and I'm trying to puff myself up, or I'm trying to validate that, hey, you know, this is who I am, and that. And the Holy Spirit often brings up scripture in my life, like, hey, you know, get back into the boundaries here. But he also uses Jim Collins, you know, quote and that. And I can be sitting in lunch and, and the Holy Spirit will say, hey, why don't you try being a little more interested here than interesting? And I'm like, oh, you know, zap, you know, get the little zap reminder, that kind of thing. But that's where we are, right? C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay. So a healthy pride is an accurate, realistic estimate of one's ability. And so that's where C.S. Lewis says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. I mean, God says that in Psalm 139, that he knit us together in our mother's womb. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God says that we are his children. God says that as Christ followers, we are positioned with him in the heavenlies. So when you start your commute tomorrow, you're not commuting from Cambridge or around the area. I mean, you're starting your commute from the heavenlies. I mean, that's where we're positioned. That's who we are. 
And so God desires us to have a strong identity of who we are in him. Because we are in relationship with him, it validates us for all things. But what he's saying is, just try to think of yourself less. It's not all about you all the time, right? Played that, right? Foolproof in our life. You're trying to be the top Jenga game, if you've ever played that, right? Where you're trying to be the top person on the top. But in order to do that, you have to pull blocks from below and take them out. But as you do that, to be superior, it leaves gaps. And we all know that as it gets higher, it gets more wobblier. Until eventually, what happens? It falls, right? Because of the instability. But it's a picture of what pride does in our lives. Proverbs 16, 18, right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So if we want to foolproof our lives here this morning, keep it from destruction, keep it from falling, we need to replace pride with humility by keeping a proper perspective of who we are before God, before our neighbors, and before ourselves. And that's why here this morning I am inviting us to partake of communion, the Lord's Supper. Because it's a reminder of us that there is a God and we are not him. It's Jesus. And Jesus tells us to practice communion so that when we take the bread, he says, remember, this is my body broken for you. When we take the cup, he says, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And because of this, you are positioned with your heavenly Father in the heavenly least, like forever. Your life can be transformed to look more like Jesus, less like yourself. Remember this, what I have done, and that there is a God and you're not him. And so in a moment, I invite you just to come out to the right, go to an open station, grab a wafer, dip it in the cup, And then if you are physically able, I invite you to bow before the elements and just simply say, God, you are God and I am not. As a reminder of who we are before him. And then come back and we will close off together. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God and we are not that you have given us instruction when it comes to pride and humility in your word so that we can live life to the full. You have created us to be successful, not to fail. And I pray that our success would be a firm foundation in you. And so I pray favor and goodness over all here as we celebrate what you have done for us on the cross in your holy name. Amen.